somebody in the chat. And he said, uh, this is, wait, where did, what did he say? He said, uh, he said, this isn't the, the chat we wanted. Oh, he said, he said, Lord have mercy, not the interview we wanted, but the one that we deserved. <laughs> oh, yeah. This is going to be a very, very interesting conversation I have with a very special guest, um, somebody who's uh, been supportive of me. Um, you know, very rarely do I ha I get um, um, support from people I want. I always get support from people I would never expect it from. Um, and he's one of those people I just, you know, not to say there's, you know, a problem with or anything like that, you know, just just didn't expect to be, you know, cool with such a cool guy, you know, um, you know, as a young kid, young black kid, I thought, you know, growing up, all my peers would be black. The older I get, I'm getting more and more white guys. You know, this is a new thing for me, you know, culturally, because uh, I went through a period of uh, racism of my own where I hated white people and white men. And once I healed myself of that, I started, you know, um, meeting really cool and interesting people and having interesting conversations and learning a lot. Um, but before we get into the conversation, I just want everybody to know uh, I am a three-time tech startup founder. Got two more coming this year. Uh, you'll definitely see one of them blatantly um, because it'll be promoted heavily uh, for whatever reason. I don't want to give that away. But the links to all my companies are in the description box below. I'm also a two-time founder. Um, I'm sorry, two-time author. Uh, dominates Twitter, as many of you know, and also wrote the Unbreakable Rules of Masculinity. Uh, and the cool thing about that is Rolo Tomasi, my guest today, is the one that did the cover for that book. Beautiful cover, excellent cover. He did great work for me. Um, it was just exquisite. I even had a different title, and you know, he was uh, kind enough to you know kind of uh, steer me in the right direction on the title and help me tighten that up. Um, you know, really great guy. So without further ado, I'd like to introduce the Red Pill God, Rolo Tomasi. What's up, bro? How are you? Hey, what's going on, man? You and I have known each other for a long time. I was just thinking about that. I I can't remember when I first started following you. It had to have been like when I first got on Twitter, I think. Yeah, right? Like it's been, it's been so long, you know? Mm -hmm. and, and When did you first get on? When did you first come on Twitter? 2009. 2009? Probably about that time. That's when I came on too. Wow. Yeah. Um, but I went through different phases. Like I was Daddy Boston, then I was uh, uh, Ali Shakur. And then, you know, I think I we think connected. I, I think that's when I knew you, when you were Ali Shakur. When you, when, was that, wow. your, I think that's when you're that the account that I, and then you, and then you became Hotep Jesus after that, right? Yeah. 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 Wow. It's been that long. Huh? I know. I just had 10 years. I was like, <laughs> <laughs> that long. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So me and Rolo got close. Um, on a very, very odd situation. So I was invited to speak at uh, this convention, convention uh, yeah. for masculinity. And, um, uh, you know, I, 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 I took the gig on um, mostly because Rolo had introduced me, right? Like Rolo is, was the one that made the introduction to show you how such a cool guy is, right? Like I have a lot of people in my network and nobody like tries to connect me or like, plug me into what they're doing. It's like they almost try to shut me out sometimes. And Rolo was the complete opposite. He was like, yo, get Hotep Jesus on this thing. And I was just like, wow, like, you know, I, I feel special. Thank you. You know, um, it's an honor. So he includes me in this thing. And then out of nowhere, um, they kicked him from the thing. And I was like, well, if Rolo goes, I go too. And I think that's the that was the beginning of where our relationship really started to bond. Mm -hmm. Um, 
because I'm just a loyal dude. You know, if you help me out and then somebody is dissing you, then, you know, I'm dissing them too. Mm-hmm. Um, but I don't want to talk about that particular situation. I, I want to talk about why is it that some people in the manosphere or whatever we call it, mm-hmm. what is their beef with you or, or, or what are the disagreements that, that you're having uh, ideologically? Okay. Well, I don't, I don't think it's not, I don't, honestly, I don't think it's ideologically I think one okay. of the problems that a lot of guys have with like my work, now you got to understand what I've been doing for a very long time. Um, I have been writing what I've been writing, um, really since about 2002. Um, back then, of course it was on forums and it was on the SoSwab forum and there, you know, that was back in the pickup artist days. And I, it's not like I've ever been a pickup artist. It's just like, I thought that what they were doing at that time was fascinating because I was a, also studying psychology at that time. Mm. So I wanted to, I wanted to figure out why what they were doing was working or wasn't working. And so from there, I just got into these conversations. And then a lot of the stuff that people like read in my books, um, and the first one right now, uh, The Rational Mail, uh, I published that in 2013. And uh, that, it really snowballed into something that I didn't I didn't realize it would would ever be as big as it is. But now, like people use the rational mail as like the red pill Bible. And by red pill, I mean uh, from the perspective of intersexual dynamics. So okay. I, I see the red pill as a praxology, um, not an ideology. Um, and just to give you the, sort of like the elevator speech of that, mm-hmm. um, as a praxology, I kind of look at it as a, a loose science. Okay, so we're just I, I'm I'm a connector of dots, and a lot of people don't like the dots, or they're uncomfortable with the dots that I connect. One mm. of one of my one of my sort of I guess jokes or or quotes is like I only hold up a mirror. You have to want to look into the mirror, <laughs> mm-hmm. and a lot of people don't want to look into that mirror. And I have seen, like I said, I've been a part of the manosphere for, well, at least 18 years, if not 20 years now. Um, it depends on how far you want to rewind. But what we now call the manosphere has been around at, le- at a minimum of uh, since the, the early pickup artist days. And from there, it sort of morphed into these little sub tribes, I guess. So you've mm-hmm. got guys who are like the more traditional conservatives. <clears throat> you got guys who are the pickup artists. You got guys who are MGTOW right now. Um, there's a, a sort of a, a growing group of guys that call themselves the black pill. Mm-hmm. And that means like that. And I, that's not, it's not a racial thing. It's, it's a, uh, that they tend to be uh, younger guys that are really kind of nihilistic uh, about some of the stuff, really some of the stuff that I've, I put forth um, in my books, uh, you know, well, almost eight years now or seven years now. Mm-hmm. And, um, and they, they've got the, like, I, I, I tell them this, I say, you know, you got the, you got the diagnosis, right. You just don't have the prescription, right. Mm. So a lot of what I see happening in the manosphere right now is, uh, a lot of grifting. That's why I was, <laughs> that's why I was getting into your, like, you know, it's grifting season. You're right. It is. Grifting season. I saw a lot of that happen by the way, in 2015 into the 2016 election cycle. And we're seeing a lot of the same thing right now. A lot of these guys who used to be uh, part of the "quote unquote" red pill community, who were into intersexual dynamics and stuff, or we're talking about, you know, it wasn't just about how to pick up chicks. It was like, how does all of this, uh, how do gender dynamics, how do sexual dynamics affect like uh, your your marriage, your picking up girls, your family, your your maybe your work, maybe politics, maybe religion, all this other stuff. And so it's sort of again, it, there's it's so broad right now that you can't it's almost impossible not to step on people's toes ideologically mm-hmm. because a lot of people invest a lot of their beliefs into what they believe should be true w- with respect to 
you know, getting married, uh, you know, solving their reproductive problem, let's just say, uh, you know, picking up girls, having a girlfriend, dealing with women, dealing with the opposite sex, that kind of stuff. And it's something that everybody's been talking, you know, we, we love to talk about sex. We love to talk about like how and, and how best to sort of, you know, deal with the opposite sex, whether it's in marriage and everything else. And a lot of people have a lot of invested, you know, ego investment, let's say, in those beliefs. And so it's almost impossible for me not to step on some, some toes. And so people tend to throw rocks at me. Ah, ah, yeah. You think it's some jealousy? Um, the fact that they don't have your background because you have a psychology background. I have a psychology background. Um, I also, I think my, my greatest asset though, is that I've been in this for a very long time. Mm -hmm. And, um, a lot of what I have written about in my first book, which people, you know, people want to call it the Bible of the red pill. Um, a a lot of that came from discussions, uh, over the course of almost 10 years. Cause I remember I, I published that in 2013 and I, a lot of the material that I put in there was built on either blog posts and those blog posts, because I'm with rationalmail.com, um, a lot of those were uh, the the root, the stem of those came from discussions and debates and things that we were talking about back in the day, back in the er- well, mid early to mid two thousands on uh, so suave on alt fast seduction, and it was me sort of like you know cobbling all of this together and then putting them into blog posts and then later putting that into a a formal book that people still you know, love today. It's a, it's a, what I call a living text. So mm. you don't just read the book and put it on your shelf. You come back to it when you need it at certain parts of your certain points in your life. Mm-hmm. So it's, it's, um, if something is applicable to you as a young man, there's aspects that might not be applicable to you then, but when you get to be older or when you like, you know, you hit 30 and you're like, Oh, I'm thinking about monogamy. I'm thinking about marriage, whatever. Then there's other aspects of it. And, uh, whenever I'm talking to people who have the book, you know, the actual physical copy of it, they almost, almost all of them (laughs) have, uh, you know, it's dog-eared or it's underlined or it's highlighted in two different colors and stuff. And people are just come, you know, kind of coming back to it because they want to remember certain things, different parts of their time, of their life. And so again, it's really hard for me to have a have that kind of background and that kind of impact without having, you know, some people like get upset about that because a lot of this material that's in there is very challenging and it's challenging for them ideologically, whether that's, you know, politics or the religion or, um, or just what they've been taught, you know, uh, from, from an early age. And I've seen cycles in the manosphere, what we call the manosphere. Now we didn't call it back then, of course. But I've seen cycles where um, we'll go through like this really kind of moralistic cycle and then we'll go into like the PUA cycle and then we'll go into another moralistic thing or like like just what do you remember this like back in I think it was in November of last year there was uh, when when uh, Gab decided that they were going to ban like pornography off of off of gab and okay fine but that's when you get like the no fap guys and you got everybody who's who you know and so you get into sort of this moralistic cycle and then that just faded away after about like three weeks or four weeks and then we move to something else and so we go through these different phases and i've seen that i've seen that particular phase like the no fap phase we'll see it again don't trust me we will see that again but uh you know we'll we'll go through these sort of cycles i think and I'm, i'm almost thinking this is a generational thing because now i at least from my reckoning i see that the the red pill from where i stand is at least 20 years old right now 
So mm. if you say, well, it started in 2000 or when the internet sort of came up, um, you know, that's the first thing guys wanted to do is compare notes. They wanted to, <laughs> they wanted to figure out how to get laid is what they wanted to do. And then it became something larger than that. But I see a lot of guys, and I understand why people are upset because a lot of people have taken the red pill as sort of a loose brand to use okay. for whatever their pet ideology is now. So now the red pill is about alt-right, or now the red pill is about this trad con thing, or it's about these guys, or it's about self-improvement, or it's about this, or it's about whatever. And so they take that and they go, well, I'm red pill. And they have no clue what they're talking about. They just see it as a, a useful tag or something to put on their profile <laughs> so that guys will will go and, you know, and and think that they're, oh, you're red pill. Tell me, tell me more. Tell me how to be a man. Tell me how to be masculine. Those kinds of things. And you know, I, I look at it differently. Did I lose you? Oh wait, there you are. Can you hear me? Yeah, yeah, I got you. Can you hear me? Hold on one second. Yeah. Okay, there you go. Yeah. 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 Go ahead. Go ahead. I'm sorry. Okay. No, no, I was just gonna it, say. It, I think that's uh, on my end. Yeah, you're you're. I got a little yeah, bit. Just said you're good. Latency on you. Thank right. you, Trish. Appreciate you. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I, I think the connection the connection is just bad between me and you. It'll it'll, it'll level itself off well soon. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So I, um, I I see that I see the right. So so uh, go ahead. Go ahead. No, go ahead. Oh, I was just gonna say just to finish that just to finish that thought is I I see that the. The red pill right now is, uh, I, I think a lot of people like use it for like their own kind of personal brand or whatever, like whatever, like your truth is, is suddenly red pill, right? It doesn't matter what that is. It's just like, I, I, I'm of the opinion that a lot of people like for when we talk about like social justice warriors and everything like that, I think that a lot of people are really social justice warriors. It just depends on what your sense of justice is or what your ideology happens to be. And so when you think that you've been woken up from something and your suspicions are true or your beliefs are true or whatever it is is true, then suddenly that becomes red pill, right? Because it's just a, it's just a euphemism or it's just a, a metaphor for truth. And so people use that as, as their kind of like little moniker or their whatever. If it fits in and you can get it in a search tag, people will put red pill in there. Yeah. So um, let's talk about grifting, right? First of all, I just want y'all to, okay. I just want to make sure y'all know this. Roll Tomasi got the dad hat on. <laughs> have the beanie too, but it's a little too hot to wear the beanie today. <laughs> yeah, hell yeah, hell yeah. But I want to talk about grifting season, right? Mm -hmm. um, so the motivation for my book was definitely not of. So there's some disingenuousness, disingenu uh, disingenuity, how do you say it? Disingenuousness. It, their motives were disingenuous, right? Mm -hmm. um, and uh, yeah. And uh, so my motivation when I wrote the book was I just had information in my head. I wanted to dump on paper and share with people because I turned 40 this year and I just have a whole lot of experience. And I feel like some people hop into these lanes because it's popular and it's cool and it gets mm -hmm. high engagement. You know, and, and and I think there is that that level of grift, right? So right. I think you know what people have to see is you know when you see these people uh, write on particular topics, we have to start looking at what qualifies you to write on this topic. You know, mm -hmm. like when I see a twenty year old writing about masculinity, I'm like, bro, 
you got a lot of growing to do before you start coming out here to my relationships. Mm-hmm. You know, like I've been with my woman, you know, damn it, 20 years. Mm-hmm. So so I know relationships. And that's really what my book was about, you know, more or less, you know, men and women in the relationships and so forth. Um, so 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 is, is that what you kind of see with the with the whole Grifton thing? Where Definitely. And I'm, I'm glad you brought that up because I don't get to talk about this very often um, in I'm, as you know, I'm working on a fourth book right now. And it's it's basically the, ro- the rational male religion. And so I'm working on, you know, aspects of religion. Part of this part of the intro of the book, I think um, I talk about what what I have termed as the hustle economy. And that's really where I, you know, about the gig economy. Now we're moving into the hustle economy right now. So there is a kind of subset of guys who are online right now. And it's, it's almost like a package. It's almost like a formula or a template right now for these guys. And it's, it's easiest and this, the niches change, but it's easiest to point this out in like, sort of like the positivity grift or like the Tony Robbins kind of thing, Mm -hmm. or the guys who who say, you know, it's like motivational speaking. Um, You'll, you'll see a lot of guys who will shift from kind of like the fitness niche into being a guru. How to live a better life, and I'm not. I'm not. I don't want to, you know, throw rocks or anything. At, like, you know, Jocko Wilnick. He's he's got his his thing, but a lot of guys want to be Jocko Wilnick. A lot of guys want to be Tony Robbins. A lot of guys want to be, you know, whatever. And mm-hmm. it's a very old grift. It's just that we sell it now in a different way. So if you go and you rewind all the way back to like um, like uh, Napoleon Hill, or you go back to Norman Vincent Peale with power positive thinking, uh, you know self talk and all of this kind of you know, just think good thoughts and you know you if you you'll feel better and and you know and maybe there's some truth to it right I mean you you put yourself in a positive frame of mind you know that I mean the placebo effect is a real thing right I mean people feel better even if they even if the the medicine isn't real medicine it's just that they feel good and it of course it triggers you know endorphins and all that other stuff too but that is like Zig Ziglar or even L Ron Hubbard and now Tony Robbins is the easiest one but Tony Robbins is is who he is right now because he was on the cusp of uh, the new, what I call the, the new enlightenment or the age of new enlightenment, which is right when the internet went big, like right around 2000 is when I, when I, I knock and say, this is the new enlightenment. And by that, I mean, is we now have access to information that we've never had access to before. Mm-hmm. There's good and there's bad about that. Mm-hmm. The fact is like one of the reasons I can write, you know, authoritatively about what it is. I, of course I, I draw from personal experience, but I also draw from the experience of talking with other guys for almost 10 years in the forums. Also I have a background in psychology. Also I've been doing this for a long time and just, you know, sort of, I, I'm a, a, a copious note taker. Let's put it that way. Okay. And so I've been doing this for a while. So people say, well, what qualifies you to talk about this stuff? Well, I mean, I have a lot of life experience, right? You're turning 40. I'm 52 right now. So, so, um, so that that's part of it. But what I see happening right now is that same grift that was sort of new back in the mid 2000s in through 2010 to 2020, it really became a process. And so now you go from being sort of this guy who has a, a blog and you have a new offer and you're doing email marketing and you're doing all this kind of stuff. And what happens, you've got guys, you've got grifters who grift the grifters now. <laughs> you've got Damn. guys who will sell you the template so that you can do that, so that you can you can get yourself into sort of this offer kind of thing or you can do a program wow. or you can do whatever. And it used to, like, I'm sure you probably know, this is like, there's, uh, people say, well, you need to have like passive sources of income, right? Well, right. This, is the, this is what people start with and then it becomes their main source of income because they find, hey, it's much easier 
to start a YouTube channel, to have an email list, to have a blog. And then what's happened now, and a lot of marketing agencies will do the same thing right now, is they have like sort of what's called a guru in a box. And so they'll write your book for you. And it's not really even a book because now e-publishing is a thing and anybody can be a published, anybody can be an author. Yeah. That's why like when people say, oh, you're an author and they'll go, oh yeah, you're, you're self-published. Well, I could not publish what it is that I write. I consider myself an author, but I couldn't write or I couldn't publish what I write in any other time, in any other era, because any like traditional publishing house would, would get this out of here. They, they would not have anything. And your book too. Unfortunately, yeah. your yeah. book as well would not do well at like Penguin or Random House or any of these right, traditional right. things. You would not get published, but you can now. And that's, again, that's a, a good benefit. That's a good thing for like people who are you know, genuine about what they want to do. And I, like I said, I've been doing this forever. But then it also is an avenue that, like I said, the barrier to entry so to low. this kind of stuff has never been lower. And so what happens is you get these people who will sell you this, this package deal and they'll go, okay, we'll write you this book. And it's usually just sort of a rehash of like Zig Ziglar stuff or whatever. And, you know, get up at 4 a.m. And, and don't eat carbs and, you know, <laughs> whatever it is. And then you, be, and then you go and you go on speaking tours and whatever else. And suddenly you're, you become sort of this e-authority and you're making, you're probably making, you know, 10 times the amount you were making when you had your cubicle job, but now you're an authority. And the problem is, is these guys get into it and because they are making that kind of money, what is it? Expense rises to meet income. And so now they have to keep going and they have to keep mm. going more and more and more. And at some point, like I said, it's, it's become a hustle economy. Now that's just like the positivity grift. There's, you can see the same thing in like women's ministry. Okay. That that's also, and there's grifters that grift the grifters in there. And that, so that's another mm. aspect. Um, there's there's all kinds of like you know, we're going to start a a men's group or something like that, or or you get like a, the Good Man Project, or you get these guys who are maybe they have like some kind of real genuine interest in it, but they follow a template into the hustle economy, and then they get st and they get like addicted, like that, like they can't get out. There's no way you yeah. can stop because all your bills are now dependent on you making that much money now. And so you have to keep going and appeal to a broader audience and keep going and going and going. And not everybody can do that. Yeah. Yeah. The hustle economy. Wow. The gig economy is now the hustle economy. Wow, man. You're right, man. You know, I think, you know, I talk about growth and season a lot. Right. Mm -hmm. And I love that you have the psychology background because you're able to like put some of the thoughts I have and into words, right? Like how you just said, you know, I call it Grifton, or Uncle Hotep called it Grifton season. Uh, and then I just kind of popularized it. But then you saying there's a hustle economy and a gig economy. And yeah, so for example, like when I wrote Dominate Twitter, right? Mm -hmm. um, probably one of the biggest mistakes I ever made. Um, Why? Because everybody started grifting my work, right? Like, mm -hmm. it, you know, I, 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 so for example, I have a class that I do every Saturday, right? Mm -hmm. And I call their students my grandchildren, mm -hmm. right? Um, because the people that read my book started sharing my work with people verbally, and and, and then they started creating like Twitter coaching, right? And coaching, they started, big deal. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and they started creating like Twitter seminars. And then when I look through my email list, I see them as purchasers. And then I see them change the way they tweet and they're adopting my style. And I'm like, I gave them too much in that book. Mm -hmm. um, and, and so then now when it gets to the next generation, after my work's been diluted, 
And I'm saying that, but you see some of the essence and the substance gets lost mm-hmm. once it reaches the next generation. You know, I had one. No, go ahead. No, I was going to say, I, I, I encounter something very similar to, because like I said, I've been doing this for almost 20 years right now. Mm-hmm. Um, the, the, the rational mail, like I said, is, is sort of the resource that a lot of these guys go to, but now I'm seeing a lot. Um, and you probably are too. Um, a lot of guys who are in the MGTOW community or in the black pill communities right now, and they don't know where they got the ideas that they did. Like they, mm. they're, they're, yes. it's not like they're ripping me off. It's they just don't know where those came from. Like somebody right. else said something to them, and now, and so what's funny is I'll go on and I'll say I'll I'll talk about like points in my book. Like I, on my Sunday show, I talk about like I t- I try to anyways get you know get back to the basics kind of thing. And people like will 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 be like, man, you you ripped off whatever MGTOW you know guy. It is like. No, dude, this is like from 2013 and that 2013, you know, chapter was from a post I did in 20, you know, 2007 or something like that. And, and they, they simply just don't know where it comes from. Mm-hmm. And, and so they'll, they'll, they'll be very, well, like I said, they'll, they'll be throwing rocks at guys like pickup artists or something. It's like, that's their boogeyman. And the the thing is is if it weren't for those early pickup artists there would be no MGTOWs. there would be no guys that that would be talking about the kinds of you know the basic principles that they just sort of take for granted and don't know where it came from and so like when i say something it's almost funny because i get accused of plagiarizing my own work <laughs> like, <laughs> I, I wrote the book yeah 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 i see a lot of that um my introduction was the book the game Mm-hmm. Um, who wrote that? Do you remember? That was Neil Strauss, and it was published in 2005 on yes. events that happened in 2002 and 2003. Did I lose you? I think I lost you. Okay, yeah. yeah. And that was like, shout out to Connor. Shout out to Connor Matt 499 Super Chat. So that's uh, the fraud aspect of trickle down. <laughs> yeah, yeah. It is. Um. But yeah, that was my uh, introduction to because I've always been a ladies man, you know. Mm-hmm. I've always, I've never. You figured it out. You figured it out on your own, probably. You know, like if you're like you're turning forty pretty soon, so you you probably had you. I think what's interesting is like when I was when I was in my twenties. My twenties were like sort of the late eighties into the early to mid nineties around there, and you know, learning game was something that I had, you had to do on the fly. You just had to, it was something you did live. And it was, I, I think it was a little bit more, I won't say natural, but it was sort of like learn by doing and like trial and error. <laughs> and now you have like the game or you have like this formalized, you know, pickup kind of thing and why these things work, or maybe you read my book and you say, well, you know, this is, this is what Rolo said will work for, for whatever. Maybe I try this. I think that, you know, we didn't have that before. and as as sort of like a, a process of of coming to that knowledge like it's what i call old order knowledge so like mm. prior to 2000 a lot of the things that like i would just take for granted like like kids today don't know they've they've not been socialized or acculturated because they've been living behind a monitor right that's their socialization i saw i saw that and maybe you saw this i don't know there's a there's a meme out and it had some like kid with like rainbow hair or something and said this is the first generation like of kids that have been raised and acculturated or socialized on tumblr twitter pinterest facebook uh you know instagram snapchat (laughs) pornhub you know (laughs) all that stuff and i'm like yeah 
that's how they that's how this global this global con community this glo globalization is not just about economics it's also about society it's about so social and uh, nothing nothing expounded that i think more than like the internet and so you've got this generation of kids who don't know where all that stuff came from mm, yeah yeah exactly yeah um so how did you you know what, what like how did you get involved and say hey you know i want to start writing on this subject i know it starts in the forums but is there was there a reason like usually there's a spark right like for me you know mine was just uh like for dominate twitter which is like i need i have all these rules sometimes what happens is when when you don't write something now it keeps swirling in your head right and you're like mm -hmm. i want it to stop right so mm -hmm. you have to write it down and dump it right yeah. so it, you know the dominate twitter was about dumping for me just i want to just dump everything i learned about marketing into one place and um so i can refer back to it but in writing the book it all just embedded anyway yeah. right no. so what was the motivation for you to like come in and you see I, that I, i'll tell you here in a second but that's one of the reasons why i think you are definitely a genuine writer because genuine writers have they feel like they have to write it <laughs> come out like i do the same thing i i've write i've got what at least four or five notebooks right here that i keep for different things that i've i'm working on at whatever time you know and i, I will literally wake up at like 1 30 or 2 in the morning and i'll have like because you're you think about how distracted you are during the day, like with your multitasking constantly and like, oh, I got to pay the bills. I got to do this. I got to do that. And especially, you know, if you make your living online or whatever, mm -hmm. but then the only time that you don't have that distraction is like when you wake up in the middle of the night and you from, from being asleep. And so what I do is sometimes I'll get up and I'll write down what I'm thinking about and I'll put it in there and I'll, because if I don't, I'll forget about it the next morning, but you feel like you actually have to, like it has to come out of you. And I, I hate losing ideas. I hate losing ideas. <laughs> yeah. So that's, so the, the thing that that sort of put me on this course, um, a lot of people know this about me, is that my, my brother-in-law ended up committing suicide in 2003. And there's a lot of, ex a lot of circumstances that went behind that. But the, basically the, the reason for it was he, his, my wife's sister was, um, was going to be divorcing him after, say, about 20-some-odd years of marriage. And he was just about to hit 40 and had basically done... The short version of the story is this. Uh, he, he basically done everything that anybody ever told him to do, like old order, old old social contract kind of stuff. Do do the right thing, you know, marry her. Like if he got her pregnant early in the day, you know, before they were married and that kind of stuff and do the right thing kind of thing. And he did. And he and he completely changed his life and put off any any ambitions or any plans that he ever had so that he could be a dad, be be a husband, whatever, you know, and try to make the best of a, of a situation. And to his credit, did did very well at that. Then, of course, what happens is right around, you know, 40 years old, right before 40 years old, that's when things all went to hell. And so anyways, he ended up because of that, he was very, what we call very, very blue pill and um, ended up getting zeroed out, what I call zeroed out in life and uh, ended up taking his own life. Mm. And so that it wasn't so much that that motivated me. It was the reaction of people afterwards. Like people who didn't like women who didn't even know what the situation was were taking like the like pretty much like do you remember what happened with um with anthony bourdain and asia argento and that whole situation was only about a year ago i think a year year old anthony bourdain uh, asia argento was his girlfriend 
and she there was like some photos of her uh with some new guy who was like in his 20s and she's in her 40s and she she was supposed to be with anthony anthony bourdain and a lot of people say well asia argento killed anthony bourdain i don't think that but i think that what she did was the catalyst for him to kill himself and it was that's when i saw that story about anthony bourdain it was all it put it this way it's almost identical to what happened with my my brother-in-law mm. so that motivated me but it was the reaction that came after it and so a lot of the same things that happened in the anthony bourdain suicide were what i was dealing with back in like 2003 and i'm like okay like rather than getting and having an emotional like reaction to this, I'm like, cause it was pissed, really pissed me off. Right. I'm like, how can you say that? You know, like, how do you even, what am I taking crazy pills? You know, that kind of stuff. And, and so I, I'm, I'm also in, uh, at university at the time and I'm studying psychology. I'm like, why is it that this is a thing for these people? And so I was, I studied behavioral psychology. I wish I would, if I ever go back for my master's, it'll probably be an evolutionary psychology, but I understand now, but I didn't then. And that's what sort of motivated me a little bit more. And then when I was at school, I started doing peer counseling and I usually went with the guys who were older, older than me for sure, because me I too. found that a lot of their stories were the same stories mm -hmm. and very similar to my brother, very similar to Anthony Bourdain, uh, guys getting zeroed out. If you go and you look at the guys who are like between the ages of like, say, what is it? The highest incidence of suicide in the United States is men between the ages of 45 and like 60 or 60. Mm somewhere around there okay and it's usually as a result of divorce that's usually the catalyst that that pushes them over the edge uh that's the same demographic that has the highest incidence of opiate addiction and the highest incidence of alcohol alcoholism it's also the the demographic that is most likely to um well for suicide but also to kill their wives or kill their entire family and then kill mm. themselves like a murder suicide mm. and so that of course that wasn't what it was back in 2003 but it is now and again that's i i see all of that as kind of related so i initially got into that i was also sort of fascinated by what was going on with the um with uh pickup artists as well I'm like why is this why why is it that what you know mystery method is is professing why does that work or why does that not work and so i thought that was a really real fascinating i wanted to connect dots basically all i really wanted to do and then over the course of like i said almost 20 years that's that's where i ended up mm, interesting so we you use a lot of words that i know a lot of people don't know right so you said uh blue pill mm -hmm. uh zeroed out can you explain his vocabulary to us uh, okay so when i i have a it's not in any book actually this is a, a blog <laughs> if if you've ever heard me on any of my shows or if you ever if you know my work i always say this like there's an essay for that i've been writing for a very long time so what i usually do is somebody will say well, what was zeroed out mean well i have an essay <laughs> and in that essay what it was is it's it's basically this is that there is a time or there's there's times at men's lives where they will like lose a lose a wife or they'll lose a job zeroing zeroing out doesn't necessarily mean like oh your wife left you it could okay. be that you lost your job or it could be that you have been putting a lot of time and energy and whatever effort into something that takes a long time and suddenly that's gone like the rugs pulled out from under underneath you mm. and so a lot of guys like when you're younger it's easier to deal with being zeroed out than it is when you're older because mm. you, you really stop and you i'm like Personally, me, I've probably been zeroed out at least two or three times in my life. 
Mm. And not, not not my wife leaving me, but like losing a job going, okay, well, like all my dreams, all the ambitions and all the things that I was going to do now, that's all went to hell because of something, some yeah. event, some person, whatever. And now I got to start over. Now I'm starting over from zero, zeroing out. And usually I think a lot of guys don't have the, don't have the well, motivation, but they don't have the sort of wherewithal, I don't know, the mental strength to say, you know what, I'm, I can rebuild from nothing. I can pick mm. up and I can start over again. Like mm. you see people who get like, uh, who have their homes like destroyed in Hurricane Katrina or whatever. And now they got to start over. I'm like, you know what, damn it, I'm going to build it again and we're going to go. Well, it's, it's easier to say I'll build it again when you're 25 <laughs> than it is when you're like 45 <laughs> or yeah. 65. So that's, that's, in a nutshell, that's kind of what zeroing out is. Um, blue pill is what I call blue pill. I I usually follow it up with blue pill conditioning. Okay. And blue pill conditioning, um, there's a lot of different. Again, this kind of gets bastardized by people who have you know ideological. We want to make it a definition, but blue pill to me, anyways, is a conditioning. And when I refer to blue pill, I talk about how really since the sexual revolution, we have feminized men. That's part of blue pill conditioning. Mm. When I say we have taken, um, we 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 raise boys as if they're defective girls. That's blue pill conditioning through blue pill conditioning. When it comes through, uh, when when I talk about like how what is it, seventy seven or seventy eight percent of uh, all teachers in certainly in the United States uh, are all women all the way from kindergarten all the way postgraduate school. That's part of your blue pill conditioning. What it is is it's it's teaching from my perspective anyways a teach it's a conditioning or it's a teaching a psychological teaching uh, making men certainly more pliable but also teaching them that the feminine way to do something is the is necessarily the correct way of do, doing something. Mm. So we expect our boys to learn as if they're girls. And can't do that. We'll give them Ritalin. We'll give them Adderall, whatever it is. Or you go to timeout, Johnny, until you can learn with the rest of the class, which is being taught by a woman. And the girls excel. And we see this right now statistically in college. Women tend to be the, you know, what is it? Sixty-five percent of college graduates are are women right now. If you look in certain um, like social, like social work, psychology, anything that has to do f with with people, women dominate those majors. They dominate that those areas of of the world right now, you know, yeah. industry and, and, and such like careers yeah. for men. Of course, we always say, well, it's STEM fields and construction. Yes, it is. And it probably will continue to be, but we have basically disadvantaged men to advantage women. And that's, again, the reason why we think that's right is because we've been conditioned by Disney, by our, by pop culture, by uh, mass media, by the, certainly by the internet, by social media, by all this stuff. And I don't think people really realize just how, um, how influential um, all of that is right now. And so I can, I can, I can point back to things that happened like in the early seventies and that's one thing. But then if I go on, I, I was saying before, we we are now seeing the first generation that was raised by Twitter and Tumblr and, mm -hmm. and Instagram and all that other stuff. And we talk about OnlyFans and, and all this other crap that's going on right now, right? That's part of blue pill conditioning. That's why those things seem like a natural fit for people who have been brought up from an early age, from like five years old, to think that the, the female way of doing things is correct or um, the this particular way is doing doing things the right way. And then what happens is you get adults who've been blue pill conditioned 
so you get like, you know, like I was saying before, you have boys who are conditioned to be defective girls. They grow into young men who are men who are defective women. Mm. That's in a nutshell. That's kind of like from my perspective. Whoa, whoa. You know, in the Hotep community, um, uh, what's been expressed to me by some of the master teachers was uh, the problem with uh, black boys in America. And you've just hit on this was the fact that they're uh, essentially having every teacher was a white female. Right. Mm -hmm. So like Mm -hmm. how is a boy supposed to be in this educational institution and perform well when his professor or teacher uh, is someone who can relate to him, right? You can't relate to him um, by race, but you damn sure can't relate to him by gender. And when you said that, it was just like, oh my God, I was so mind blowing. Like it makes a lot of sense why everybody's so cucked. And it makes sense why like I didn't do well in school, right? I Like for example, I'll never mi- forget Miss, I want to say Hibbert or Hubbard, but she was the traditional schoolhouse teacher that you see like, you know, strict and everything, English teacher. And everybody in school complained about her class, right? It was like, oh, she's so mean. She's this, she's a hard teacher. And I was like one of two kids who got an A minus in her class, right? And she was so strict, like I should have got like an A, but she was like A minus because she just was very like, but she didn't even smile, right? And I remember one day, you know, we were in class and I said something and she smiled and I was like, oh, wow, she's human. But her energy is different from the rest of the teachers because I felt her energy was more masculine, right? Where Mm -hmm. she just didn't take any crap off anybody. And it was just, she felt very masculine. She even had like that short haircut. Mm -hmm. And when you say this, I'm starting to see the difference between why I did well in her class and not with the other women. Mm -hmm. Wow. So, so how does this. How does this relate to today? Is this like part of what's happening? Why men are cucked? Like I, I believe, well, you have to remember that when we talk about like a, a, a generation being cucked or like soy generation, um, like Dr. Jordan Peterson has talked about this. And I think he's called these, this generation, the lost boys generation, right? They, <laughs> they're the guys that are looking for that father figure. And Jordan Peterson was that father figure for these guys. And it's not just Jordan Peterson. Okay. It could be Tony Robbins. It could be me. It could be you. It could be whoever. That's a, a another part of the hustle economy is being that father figure for these guys. And that's mm. why I always try to step back from that and go, look, I'm not going to give you prescriptions. I'm going to give you tools. I want you to build something out of yourself. I don't want you to say, well, I'm a Rolo Tomasi man, or I'm a Hotep Jesus man, or I'm a Tony Robbins man. I, I, that right there to me would be a failure. I want you to be your own man. I want you to show me what you built yeah. with the tools I give you in my books or whatever. Hopefully I'm helping you good, but you have to be the creator of your own life. And I think that this gen- the, this most recent generation of the Lost Boys is, remember, they're the products of fathers who were also the products of the same the, the same Condition. blue pill conditioning. Mm-hmm. So it's not just it's a multi generational thing. It's not just like well these are the soy boy generation or these guys of these millennial guys. They're look at them in their man buns or whatever. You know, that, okay, I can. It's easy to say oh this generation has been pussified or been they're all manginas or whatever. But the thing is, is they're the products of, of blue pill fathers who might have been the products of blue pill fathers before that. It's really been going on. I think I always, and this is just my loose sort of distinction here, is that really since the sexual revolution, like 1965, when we came up with like the pill, uh, the birth control pill. And what we did then, of course, is we put um, unilateral control of the human reproductive process in the hands of women. 
and we mm. did, hey, we can have free sex. Great. Here you go. Here's a pill and all bets are off. You guys take care of that. And, and we're, you know, you do what you want to and we'll be supportive. And you'll notice that right around that time is when you got the rise of militant feminism, uh, you know, uh, on-demand abortion, uh, no-fault divorce, um, all the things that we sort of like see and we, we look at the stats right now and we go, oh, this is just a terrible, it's a society. No, it's been happening for a long time. And so those boys that we're talking about in the Lost Boys generation or the Cuck generation, or whatever you want to call it, they're the products of at least two, well, at least two generations, possibly one generation prior who were taught the same way that they were. That they've been, they were uh, little, they were boys taught to be defective girls, and they grew up to be uh, defective mothers, right? I mean, they, that's really you want to know where that all came from. And when it comes to um, when it comes to masculinity, there's two things that happen as a result of that. One of them is that masculinity is either demonized, it's, mm -hmm. it's toxic masculinity, toxic masculinity, bad masculinity, or, or as I've noticed really since 2017. Uh, it's not, it's no longer toxic masculinity. It's masculinity is toxic. Mm. And so now it's now, if you're a man, you're bad. Like I've seen these, uh, like, uh, the, the women's marches, like they'll, they'll dress their little boys up and like boys will be boys and they'll cross out the last boys and they'll say boys will be good humans. Mm. So he was a bad human before you, before you put that shirt on him. And, and now he's a good human because you're, because he, he toes the feminist line or toes the you know feminine imperative for you. Mm -hmm. Well, so that's, that's one part of it. So there's this, there's this demonization of masculinity and toxicity of you know masculinity. And it's essentially what it is, is whatever aspects of masculinity that don't align with the female imperative with women, you know, female correctness, let's say, that's the demonized part, but all the useful parts where you save us from the rising floodwaters or you run into the, you know, the, to that burning house to save the baby. That's oh, That's a okay. But that anything that's not useful to them, to that particular, what I call the feminine imperative, that is what gets demonized. And so, and now certainly in uh, really ever since I would say 2017, now it's more like all masculinity is bad. Um, so that's one part. And then the second part is this is, is that if, if, guys if little boys or or young men aren't what i call gender loathing they said they hate being men then they're gender confused mm. and it's because there's a deliberate attempt to say that masculinity is something that's subjective like you get to define it for yourself who who knows what a man is anyways you know it's it's usually this this uh it's a deliberate sort of blurring of what what it means to be a man. And so then you get like, uh, of course, you know, uh, commercial media and, and PR and marketing all jumps into this. And so then you get these guys who just like, they'll, and, and they'll literally do, I've seen Ted talks from these guys from what is it called? Are we man enough? That's an organization. There's one guy in there and I can't remember his name, but he's done Ted talks where he's like, well, I didn't understand what it meant to be a man. I want to be able to cry and I want to be able to express myself. And I'm listening to this. And I'm going, the reason that this guy believes this is because he is the product of belief or of, of a, an education that okay. has taught him to make his whatever his idea of being a man or manhood is subjective. And so what happens is you get you get the guys who believe that masculinity is is like bad, or you get guys who are just confused and they so they decide to make whatever it is for themselves. And then what happens is you get manhood sold back to these guys. Mm. So when a woman says a real man, 
uh, does this. A real man uh, doesn't, it doesn't matter, for a real man doesn't care if his girlfriend goes and gets pregnant by another guy and he takes care of it, right? That's what a real man does. Or a real man uh, doesn't care if a, a, a single mother has, you know, three kids from two different fathers. A real man steps up and takes care of them anyways, whatever is in their best interest. And so what they do, and I, I kind of describe this in, in one of my books, is that they hold, they kind of dangle the manhood medal or the merit badge. You can be a man if you do these things. And so it's like women defining for them what manhood is to a generation of boys who've been taught to either A, hate their own masculinity or else they're confused about it and they don't know what manhood is. And mm -hmm. so they go, oh, is that what, that's how I get the manhood medal? Sure, I'll do those things. I'll do all those, th I'll, I'll qualify myself to you. I'll do all of these things that, that really aren't in my best interest, they're in your best interest, whether that's via mating strategies or whatever, but I'll do whatever it takes to be called a man because now I have a definition. Now I have a concrete objective definition. A real man does that? Okay, I'm gonna go do that. Mm -hmm. that and so you've got a generation, actually you've got multiple generations that will do that. So as a result, you know, you and I from uh, an older and uh, fr from old order masculinity, we see this and we go, what's the matter with you? But they don't know that they, they've never had that kind of educate. They didn't have a father that, that taught them, taught them that, or they, they did, or they ignored it or through, you know, whatever influence and education conditioning, like I keep saying uh, that they've had till they get to that point has been to, condition that out of them to make it subjective, make masculinity subjective rather than objective. Mm. All right. So we, we just went through the path of women defining manhood. So now we have to have the red pill. God tell us what is manhood? What is masculinity? Can it be defined succinctly? I think so. I think okay. so. I think that there are aspects uh, and I, I get into this and I have my third book is called positive masculinity. And I talk about these things whenever I, uh, you have to, first I want to clarify terms because the first thing you have to understand is like, I, I'm, I'm not into the term traditional masculinity because mm -hmm. my traditions of masculinity might not be yours. We, you and I obviously come from different cultures and different worlds, right? right. I, my, my traditions of being a man, as you know, a white American guy in the United States during this particular time is might not be the same as somebody in India or somebody in Japan or whatever. So traditional masculinity is sort of it's kind of like another one of those sort of ambiguous ways of saying, well, that's what that's what you believe. No, and that's different. There is what I call conventional masculinity, and conventional masculinity are is the aspects of what makes a biological human male. What are his natural proclivities? What what makes a guy a guy? Mm. Testosterone, right? Okay, well, you know, that's something right there. That's a biological thing that mm -hmm. men have more of than women do. Mm -hmm. And so as a result, what are, you know, what are what's the what's the result of that? Well, we have higher higher uh, incidence of aggression. Okay, great. Sometimes it's good, sometimes it's bad. It just depends on how it's applied. Right. There are certain aspects of being a man biologically that translate into behaviors and into what I call, you know, well, not what I call what, uh, you know, psychologists call natural proclivities. Mm. So I, I, let me, like, I'll, I'll explain a natural proclivity for you is okay. when, um, when little boys are born, they have a natural proclivity to be able to throw an object like a rock or whatever, right. far more accurately and with more force than a little girl is. Okay. Untrained right out of the womb, you know, like a little, a five-year-old boy can throw a rock untrained can throw a rock 
more accurately with more force than a little girl. Like when we say, oh, you throw like a girl and girls throw like that, you know, with the elbow kind of thing. That's where that comes from. And so, you know, in our feminine correct society, we go, oh, that's, that's really sexist. You said, you know, throw like a girl. Like, well, the thing is, is that's a natural thing that guys can do. Women have a natural proclivity for communication. Mm. When we talk about that, it's okay because it fl it's flattering to the feminine. Right. If we say something is a natural proclivity for men, then we're sexist and misogynist. Mm. But, so that's a natural proclivity. Now, can you teach a little girl to be uh, a, a good little league pitcher? Yes, absolutely you can. But mm -hmm. you'll have an easier time teaching a boy that than you will teaching a girl that. Mm -hmm. Because it is not in her, what I call her evolved mental firmware. It's not right. part of her starting package, let's say. Right. And so communication might be. And if you, you foster that, maybe she goes on to you know, be a writer or, or a psychologist or whatever else. You foster you know, throwing rock or spatial ability, which is a natural thing for men. Like I think it was, was it Dr. Dr. Stephen Pinker, was, he had one talk about like gender differences. And that's where really masculinity and femininity should start is innate, natural differences between men and women. And one of those is that um, men tend to be more interested in things. Women tend to be more interested in people. Okay. And I think that's really, really kind of like, as far as like the human species is concerned, I think that that sort of makes sense because of the way that we sort of came up to being what we are today. Um, women had to be more interdependent on each other and form, you know, align, you know, nurturing kind of collectives. You want to know why collectivism and socialism is such a big deal right now is because we've standardized on women being, you know, the, the primary focus of society really for the last 40, 50 years. Yeah. So, so, so there's though there's aspects for, I think one of the aspects of masculinity is, uh, dominance hierarchies, which is, um, like merit. So, and I'll tell you, here's another difference. Uh, so th this is another, you can talk about aspects of masculinity that are defining for, you know, specifically for men, men tend to, uh, when it comes to resource distribution, men tend to distribute it according to merit. Okay. What you've done, like, did you do, like, did you do a better job than Joe? Yes. Okay. So you get a little bit more, uh, but Sam did a little bit better than him. So you get a little bit more and you get a little less that kind of, it's like this dominance hierarchy thing. It really comes from us wanting to outshine each other or compete for each other so we compete for mates. But that's how we naturally think for women. It's different. Women tend to be more collectivist. Mm -hmm. So, and they've done research where women, when they give them a, a certain amount of resources to distribute amongst a group, women will do it. One by one, here one for you, and one for you, and one for you, and one for you, and oh well, she's pregnant. Give her two, you know, one for you, one for you. Those kinds of things. Yeah. So it tends to be more collectivist. For men, it tends to be more merit meritorious, I guess, meritocracy kind of thing. Okay. As best I can, I can put that. That's an aspect of masculinity, and another aspect of femininity. Nurturing is an aspect of femininity. Um, dominance, competence. Uh, I, I, I talk about this in book number two, which is, uh, it's the burden of performance. Men have a burden of performance okay. that women tend to not have. So to be a man is to become, to be a woman is just to be. So <laughs> back to, that goes back to women, uh, women are the selectors, men are the performers. Eggs are expensive. Sperm is cheap. So there's, there's a lot of different aspects. Now I'm getting into the biological side of things because when people ask me the question that you just asked me here, let's say, well, well, can a woman be strong too? I know female bodybuilders. Yeah, there, there are, there are some women that are stronger than men, but yeah. by and large, if you look at it on a bell curve, 
the strongest human beings on planet earth tend to be men. We have a much better because we have a, a natural advantage. Is that a part of masculinity? Well, it is if you're talking about conventional masculinity and not some subjective definition of what it is. So I can say strength, right? Um, uh, testosterone. Those are things that are natural and conventionally appliable to a human male. So what is, what is it for a female? Well, it, you know, nurturing, uh, uh, more agreeableness. That's another part of the, the Pinker talk. But there's, there's a lot of conventionally feminine aspects as well. But what we do is we insert our sort of software over the hardware now. Like I said before, you can teach a little girl to throw a ball the, you know, accurately. Her firmware isn't on for you know, throwing a ball, but if you teach her, the software teaches her to override the firmware, then you can't. So right. when I talk about how we have a generation after generation of little boys who have been taught to be defective girls, that's what I'm talking about. Their natural proclivity is to be these, you know, you run around and be, be a little kid, right? And be I, like, I, I always say this is like the, the most alpha a, a little boy is going to be is when he's a kid because mm. it takes like conditioning over the course of like decades to sort of condition that out of him to turn him into the soy boy that you were just talking about a minute ago. But it's the natural evolved firmware being overridden by ideology by belief, by the feminine parent, by whatever, by commercial interest, by whatever it is to change that human from being conventionally masculine or conventionally feminine into what we think they ought to be. Mm. This, is the, this is the way things ought to be. It should be this way. Mm -hmm. So we're going to teach generation after generation like that. And voila, that's where we're at. Mm, mm. Yo, I hope y'all taking notes out there. <laughs> <laughs> Shout out to the people dropping super chats. Let me catch up on the super chats, and I got some more questions for the guru here. Um, uh, Chad, thank you, Chad. What up, Chad? Chad's the homie. If y'all don't know, uh, are we in danger of having no authentic culture within uh, a few year, a few generations? Globalism seems mm -hmm. to be diluting everyone into homogeneity. Uh, don't answer that yet. Let me just finish the the reading these off. Um, DTW twin zeroed out, zeroed out like a nickel on a digi scale. <laughs> <laughs> thank you, um, Ronald. Uh, thank you. He says defund schools. <laughs> yeah, I agree. Uh, Kristen, thank you. Always supportive. Boosie Black, thank you. Appreciate you. Chad Lemoyne, um, pro-abortion men uh, peep game, consequence for free sex. Uh-oh. Um, shout out to Rolo, uh, the man whose book uh, woke me up to the blue pill. Shout out to Hotep Jesus um, and uh, Hotep Nation. Uh, happy Friday. Thank you. Thank you, my brother. Uh, Chris Von Eric says, keep up the good work, Hotep. Uh, enjoy your POV. Thank you. Appreciate the support. Uh, so, yeah, let's get into that question. Chad asked. I think it's an excellent question. Are we in danger of no authentic uh, culture within a few generations? I, I would say yes. What are, what are your thoughts on that? I think so, too. Um, I, I, it, it might be a slower process than I, I think. I, I think it depends on what what technology does within the next, like say 10 or 20 years. Um, in the introduction of my book, my fourth book, I talk about this. I, I'm, I'm sure, I don't, maybe you know this, maybe you don't that right back in right around, what is it? Or the late 1400s, early 1500s, there was uh, the invention of the printing press, right? The Gutenberg press. And that revolutionized the world. 
because it was movable type. We can we can mass produce uh, you know books and people can increase literacy. Um, it, it really basically spawned Martin Luther. It it, it spawned the uh, Protestant Reformation and caused wars basically because people had access to information in a way that they'd never had before. Hmm. And that's what I see. And that's I make a comparison to that to where we're at with the internet right now. And I don't think we really realize just how, like it, we take it for granted that I've, you know, I've got a, I've got this, you know, device sitting right next to me and I have access to the world's information. Not all, not all is accurate, but I have the access to the world's information for better or worse. If I were to take that back just 20 or 30 years, people would call me insane. Mm. And now we just simply take it for granted. Like we talk about like uh, pornography getting to little kids and stuff like that. Like kids have access to, to things that I would never have had access to when I was 10 or, or even 20 years old. Right. Yeah. So we have, we've entered a new age of enlightenment and I don't think people have really realized that yet. Um, there was another age of enlightenment, of course, which was right around, you know, the Renaissance. And then of course, uh, enlightenment thinkers were, you know, at least instrumental or influential, let's say in the formation of this country. But the, all of those, all of those thoughts and, and, and everything were made possible because of one invention, the printing press. And then of course, when we get into industrialization and everything, everything changed, um, and then I think really right now, people don't really appreciate the fact that we have access to information in a in in such such ease and such you know quickness that the globalization that was started uh, really around the turn of the century has now been accelerated. Mm. And I don't think that human beings are really ready for it right now. That's why when I look and I see what's happening with, with the riots and things that are going on or with the pandemic or even prior to that, when I was talking about, you know, red pill stuff and uh, even from mind sort of niche, the only reason my books exist, the only reason the red pill exists is because of the internet. It's a, and the first thing guys wanted to do is compare notes. How do you get girls? Right. You know, <laughs> the human interest, but it's been exponentially increased because of the globalizing effect of the of the internet and so now you know we have we're, we will probably have a one world economy maybe it will be crypto i'm I, in my book in in book four i'm arguing that we're going to we're, we're sort of hurtling towards a one world religion right now mm. and um and as a result yes i i think in some ways we'll have a more homogenous society but my, let me let me just put a caveat on that. Human beings evolved to be tribalistic, so we're always going to be looking for teams. Right. We're always going to be looking for because that's what that's what we came up from. That tribe is against that tribe. That tribe has got these resources. Let's go over there and kick their ass and take their resources. Mm -hmm. And that's really where we and that and that um, for, that's one an ugly fact of being a human is that we we cooperate, but we cooperate to kick out you know to to there's an out group and there's an in group and then we we take it from there and okay you're in our group you're not in our group and and we build from there now we're we're faced with a globalization where we say everybody has to be in the in group right now and again we have never had this rapid an advancement of technology and globalization than we do right now so that's why i see like the things that are going on whether it's uh, whether it's china trying to influence the the elections or russia or whatever you know even just those messages we never had to deal with that before right. like i'm looking at um i'm looking at god I, I don't usually get political but i'm i'm looking at like twitter 
Mm-hmm. And uh, I just read this article about um, how, and 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 Jack Dorsey on 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 Twitter has uh, admitted this already that there are uh, since about the mid to 2019 there have been over 200,000 uh, Chinese bot accounts that have been created. Oh yeah, they just on, deleted on yeah on uh, on Twitter, and with the intent to affect really what I think was going on right now. We've never had to deal with anything like that. We've never had to have this kind of this level of propaganda. This is globalized propaganda. Propaganda in Russia was contained in Russia, right? Or China, yeah. the revol was the Cultural Revolution in China was pretty much contained in China. Now it's a worldwide thing. And I was going to say this is that like for all the things that are happening with like the Black Lives Matter uh, protests and the and the you know demonstrations, whatever, it's not just the United States. Like people in Canada are are demonstrating, people in in New Zealand, people in in Britain, and everything. So now it's a worldwide thing. And that's part of, I think, what this guy was saying is sort of this global homogenized culture thing, a part of that. But the problem, I think, is that we, as human beings, we tend to be like we're innately tribalistic. So you'll see this this division, and we're already seeing, I think Tim Pool has shown some like videos where it's like these graph graphics between like the vision of like, say, the left and the right and the speed with which people have sort of separated themselves into sort of like the leftist side into, and the, I guess the rightist side, right? Yeah. And all within like 10 or 12 years. That is crazy fast advancement for, for things like that. I but, want to say within four years. <laughs> yeah, more than that. Yeah, well, certainly, certainly the last four, but, but I, I think he did it from like 2010 to 2020. And, and there's like, you can see like the, there's kind of like some overlap of like beliefs and, and, and like, okay, so, so some, some people who kind of aligned left still had some right beliefs and right sort of had left. And then you see this like come up and, and so the, all that overlap goes all the way to the extreme sides right now. Mm-hmm. And again, a result of the new enlightenment, a, a result of this new access to technology. Uh, we wouldn't, would we have that if we didn't have the internet? I would argue no. Mm, mm, deep, 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 deep. <laughs> Again, I hope y'all are taking notes. <laughs> um, shout out to Hotep Rail. Thank you. He said, drop the name of his books, Dope Convo. Yeah, go ahead and drop the name of your oh, book. Okay. Uh, the name of my book is the, I have three of them. Uh, the Rational Mail is the number one book I published in 2013. Uh, again, all of my stuff is based on uh, intersexual dynamics. Uh, I also have the Rational Mail Preventive Medicine. That's book number two. I came out in 2015. And then I have the Rational Mail Positive Masculinity which came out in 2017 and uh, they all have their, uh, if you're going to read one, read the first one, the other two and including book four, when it comes out are, you don't have to read them in any particular order. They're more like, what's your interest? So I look at the, the first book is sort of like the core work or like the, the, the main rule book, I guess. And then the supplements are like two, you know, like preventive medicine and positive masculinity and then religion. So. Mm, yeah. Awesome. Rational mail. And, and you can also find me uh, at the rational That's my my blog. I'm actually most active there. And then of course I'm on Twitter as well, which is Roll Tomasi at Rational Mail. The blog is amazing. I just want to say before I get into it. have been around since 2011. So. <laughs> yeah, I, I love the blog. I, I, I just love the way you've been able to index your work, right? Mm-hmm. So it's easy for people to browse and jump around. I wish, I wish, um, I wish blogs were still a thing. Like I've, I've noticed that like, when we first started doing like when when the internet became a thing it went to forums 
and then forums kind of like I had, I, I actually resisted creating a blog, but I had so many people and I was a moderator on, on SoSwap and they said, you need to do a blog because there was like Rouge and there's Roycey and then there was me, right? And so it was, we were like the three R's of the Manosphere. Now, of course, everybody's gone their own separate ways and done their own thing, but when, then it became a blog. And I really liked the blog because like what you were saying before, it helped me put my my thoughts down and what, what am I thinking about? Like the first year I was just sort of like, Re, I don't say rehashing, but I was like rewriting and sort of uh, editing a lot of the debates and the the conversations that I had on SoSwap. Then into like say 2012, 2013. Then I then I really came into my own because I was sort of like this is what I'm thinking. I've connected these dots and and it became a thing. But I think right now and and maybe some people will agree or disagree. I think we've moved past blogs mm. that because I really like my blog. I'm never going to stop doing my blog. What's the next phase then? If it's blogs, what are people jumping to? We're doing it right now. Yeah. I think, I think YouTube is because it's a more accessible way of like, I, I was going to say this is I, um, when it comes to like reading women read, men like to listen to their books. Mm. Like to like, uh, when I do audit, when I do audible, like when I first, when I did the first book, uh, I just wanted to do a print version. When people go, where's the Kindle? And I'm like, Oh crap! I gotta do Kindle. So I did. A, I did a Kindle like as quick as I could do it, right? And then they're like, "Oh, this is great." I, I but I hate listening to it because I have my Kindle reader read it to me. Where's the Audible? Yeah, I need an Audible. I didn't know. I'm like, okay. So I got my my buddy Sam Bada to do the the voiceover, and now I had an Audible. And I I think Audible is probably what I sell the most copies of because guys want to listen to it when they're at the gym or they're on their commute or something like that. And it's just, I, maybe it's just the ease with which like you, like I still have guys who have my print book and they'll, and they use it as, you know, to, like I said, to highlight it and to come back to it. And they're still read. It's not that they don't read, but I think that particularly this generation wants to consume data or information and as convenient a way as possible. It's what I call the TLDR generation. Too long, didn't read. <laughs> Give it to me in this little bite-sized info bite and, and tell me what, sum, sum it up for me real quick and I'll decide if I want to read it kind of thing. That's this generation. Yeah. But uh, I, I think we're doing it right now, honestly. And that's why I got into doing, you know, people wanted to hear my thoughts on YouTube. So I started a YouTube channel. Yeah, I refuse to do audiobooks. Um I'm being very stubborn about it um, because I feel it's a book burning and I'm like, mm -hmm. I want to, um, I, I want just an audience that reads, you know, I feel like that mind is very different. Right. Mm -hmm. yeah. um, so I'm against uh, audible books. I, I, I prefer, you know, let's say you did a whole video series. I probably wouldn't watch it, but if you did the video series in blog format, I would mm -hmm. consume it because I want to skim. Right. Like mm -hmm. I want to be able to just jump around and go yeah. to what I need. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I, and I, and I agree with you too. That's why I've always pushed my print book before anything else. Mm. Uh, and I, and I did that for two reasons. The first one is that uh, I want guys to hand the book to other guys who need it. Right. Mm -hmm. I mean, there's, there's uh, uh, I, I mentioned this in the introduction of the first book. Um, I had a, a reader named Jackie. She was the mother of this guy who, or the, her son, who was uh, in a really bad relationship, and and she wanted him to read my blog, but I was just some Yahoo on a on a, on the internet, you know, who who is this guy? But she said if you had a book, he would take it seriously, and so that really is what prompted me and motivated me to do to put all that into a book format. 
And then I thought about that and I go, you know what, if I'm going to do a book, I want guys to like discuss it and talk about it. And that's why I'm, I'm, I feel like it's a, it's a success on every level because it's a living text and guys will come back to it and highlight it and underline it and dog ear it, whatever else. That's exactly what I wanted. Exactly what I wanted. If you're, if you're highlighting my book and coming back to it, that's exactly, you, thank you. you. You made me proud. Daddy's proud. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, but I, so I push my, and you know this too, I push my, um, my print book before my Kindle or before my Audible because I, well, first of all, I don't want it to be deleted and it's a physical copy and it's something that like, guys can hang on to, but it's also something that you can like sort of leave with, with somebody. You know, here's the, here's the book kind of thing. Um, read this. You'll, you'll, it'll open your eyes to a lot of things. It's a little bit different than going, Hey, why don't you go get the Kindle book and, Oh, do you have an e-reader? Oh, you know, and I don't read books. I, I try not to read books like on my iPad or like, cause I, I'm online enough and writing enough that I don't want to consume it that way. But maybe that's because I'm old school. I don't know. Maybe it's just our, I mean, you're going to be old soon, right? Yeah. We're just old school. Yeah. That's exactly what it comes down to. But you know, here's my, here's my, what's that? you can't delete a print book. I mean, like you burn it, right? And that's my that's my uh, conspiracy theory, right? So mm -hmm. it comes from the book Fahrenheit 451, um, and uh, Amazon name is Kindle. What is Kindle? Kindle is the beginning of a fire. Yeah, it's it's actually burning, and then their device is called the Amazon Fire. So mm -hmm. Amazon is originally a book company, and it evolves into the monster it is now. But it's originally company and then they have this device called it kindle why would you call it kindle i don't like that i don't like they, it. Own, they own 90 percent of the digital reading market right now mm -hmm. so if you buy uh, uh like a was it a, a epub or a, a moby or something like that it probably came from amazon at some point they own 90 percent of that 90% of self-publishing for sure i know i know google wants a piece of that action mm -hmm. but Amazon is pretty much has a monopoly on that right now. Um, they also own, I think the last numbers I saw was like 65% of the traditional publishing market right now. And that's just because there's a few holdouts like Barnes and Noble. Barnes and Noble also has their own thing too. But uh, that's dangerous because they control information and who's going to get to read it and who's not going to get to read it. The other thing is cancel culture will also do the same thing. So it's like there's, there's Amazon for sure. Which is already pretty much in in you know invested in sort of social justice and whatever you know whatever they think sh people should be able to see, but then there's cancel culture as well, and there's ways and that that people who disagree with you like you were asking me in the beginning of the show like well, how come people hate you? Well, the way that they hate me is they will find ways to try to disseminate even the work that they hate. Like by putting it up to like torrent sites or to pirate sites or whatever else. So there's always going to be, I've, I've already accepted, you're always going to have digital piracy. Yeah. Um, but uh, you will get people who will try to find ways to get other companies to sort of dump you yes. or to, to cancel your, um, you know, your, your account or whatever it is. So whether that's Twitter or that's Kindle or that's Amazon or however you're disseminating your ideas, if that people don't like them, it's never been easier. Like I said, the, the barrier to, to entry for everything, including cancel culture, has never been lower. And so it's much easier to, to, to delete you, to, you know, delete you.
Mm-hmm. All right, let's let's get back to masculinity. I, we I can't have this conversation without without talking about OnlyFans. And before we talk about OnlyFans, <laughs> I just want to first let everybody know that OnlyFans is very similar to Patreon.com, and it's just a site that hosts content and makes it uh, gives you the ability to uh, add uh, a payment gate. So OnlyFans is not a pornography website, but for some reason, whatever it is, it has turned into a pornography website. So I want to ask you, uh, I guess, a two or three part question here. Right. So first of all, um, why are women uh, flocking to this industry? I know money's got to do with it. Um, What's it doing to men? And then also the the hybrid of this, which is the gamer thought or a gamer girl who shows a little bit of skin and she's getting a twitch money so so what are your thoughts on all of this um first i I think first you have to understand like women's nature women's nature is uh and again this is in book one um attention is the coin of the realm in girl world so whatever attention that women can get is great it's almost like pornography for girls is attention um but if you can monetize that it's much better and it's it's almost a more i think addictive drug for women when you're getting attention all the time and you're drawing a paycheck and you're drawing a paycheck like you've never drawn in your life before and again barrier to entry only fans makes that barrier to entry like next to nothing all you got to do is sign up have a webcam and you don't even you don't even need an imac man you just need just a laptop with a with a camera on it and that's all you have to have to have a success now you're an entrepreneur right yeah you're an entrepreneur you're in business you're an entrepreneur (laughs) so so um so there's something that i think uh particularly for women that's very self-satisfying i think also um uh another Another fact of uh, female nature is that um, I think most women realize that their only real agency, their only real power with men is their sexuality, and that has a, an expiration date on it. Mm. So, uh, and I, I know I know people are going to argue with me on this because I know I, my my one of my my co-conspirators, I guess, on uh, on Rule Zero, Rich Cooper, has shown me OnlyFans uh, accounts of these women who are like sixty or seventy years old, and they're in like lingerie, and they're making bank, you yeah. know, because that it's a novelty thing. I get it, but it doesn't matter. Like there's there's all there's always going to be that market for it, and I I've seen a lot of people, and I, I'll just give you a little a build up here back in. March when uh, COVID hit and the pandemic was going on and everybody had to stay in their house. And you see all these women, particularly like, particularly like strippers, right. Who lose their jobs. And well, what am I going to do for money? Well, they go to oddly enough, right. When OnlyFans started to be, uh, be a thing, right. It, it'd been around for a while, but nobody really made it into sort of this internet thing until then. And I think what it, the stats that I saw were this is that there were, was it, 23 or 33 million uh, OnlyFans accounts, and they saw a 60% increase in account, like new new accounts created in the yeah. month of March. <laughs> so I think that when when women see this, they go, "Well, I've got nothing to lose by not doing this," and it's it's I think it seems like easy money, and it is easy money because there's guys that will be happy to go and pay for that. I saw this was OnlyFans is one thing. I think OnlyFans is a an interesting phenomenon because it's made it so easy because prior to this you had like twitch like twitch thoughts right and 
I had guys sending me links to like Twitch streams or whatever of one girl who was just sleeping. She had this bed and like some, you know, some lights and stuff like that. She's just sleeping. And, and there's, there's like, you know, 10,000 guys watching this girl just sleep. And they're, of course, they're all talking and it's, it's a social thing for these guys. And I think that what people don't realize, like I, I hear, um, like women will say this, well, if men didn't do that, or if men would just control themselves, if men would just keep it in their pants, then women would get better. Women would be better. And it's like, okay. that's not going to happen because that's not human nature. That's not men's nature. That's not women's nature. And I was just reading before I came on this stream, uh, a, uh, a new study, and this is sort of parallel to one that was done last year, a new study that uh, shows that young men between the ages of 18 and 24 are having like next to no sex, like zero sex now. And, but women still having the same amount of sex or more right now. Mm. And but in that same cohort, in that same demographic. And, um, and of course, you know, when it, when it's on something like the Atlantic or whatever site it's on, they want to say, well, it's got to be pornography and it's got to be video games. And you know, these kids are you know, the lost boys generation, right? They, the kids have dropped out. can't believe it. These guys, if they just would get off their asses, then maybe they would be having sex or whatever. It's like, well, the women are still having sex and they're yeah. still having at least as much, if not more sex as the guys who aren't. So what has changed? Well, it's never been easier to pay for a, what is it, a $30 bottle of bath water, right? <laughs> or a, a $39.99 bottle of pee from some gamer girl who, who has found out how to market herself. But it's not her that's doing it. In most cases, if for the really successful girls, like the girls selling jars of whatever <laughs> bodily fluids, they have somebody that's behind them. They have a guy, usually they have a guy, sort of a digital pimp that's behind them that is uh, promoted, that, that knows sort of this, beta male, gamma male, um, gamer, I don't want to say gamer class because it's not just gamers, but it's like these guys who they know are just sexless incels and they will be happy to take out personal loans just to get this girl's attention because they think that that's the way that they do things. Again, this is the generation that was brought up on Tumblr, Twitter, Instagram, all those social media things that I mentioned before. How could you not have that? How would it not be this way? Because that's, to them, it's a buffer. It's easier to buffer against rejection. If you go and you have to talk to a girl in, in real time, like you and I probably did when we were growing up, you know, like you were ladies, man. Oh yeah, well, you've got to learn that live and in real time and get shot down a whole bunch of times before you actually have some success and then you learn what you're doing. Right. These guys never had that process. And so at, in, in book one, I, I, talk, I call these buffers. And what buffers are is like anything that's between you and actually talking to somebody like, like text messaging, like guys say, I got my really good text messaging game. I'm not going to, I'm not going to shit on that. I mean, okay. I, I get it that that's how you meet like on okay Cupid or match or whatever, but that's a buffer. It's yeah. a buffer from you learning like how to read vocal intonations, like facial expressions, body language. Yeah. Um, I, and I, so it's easier. It's just easier. It's more comfortable. Um, if all, all you are is just like some digits and some characters on a chat window, rather than actually being putting yourself out there and being shot down in real time with real rejection, mm -hmm. that's a buffer. And that this generation has pretty much been acculturated and socialized to see buffers as just normal. Uh, that's it's an over reliance on that buffer. Mm. And so I, th I think that it, 
that sort of explains, I think, the popularity of OnlyFans. But again, none of that works unless the unless there is like sort of this human nature, this human need for this sort of contact or the sexuality part of it. Uh, I think for most guys who get addicted to this, or most guys who are like uh, paying you know exorbitant amounts of money for this, it's usually sort of this human connection thing. Again, why? Because there's a buffer. They think that well, if I if I just got her panties, then I'd have a connection. Right. If I had this jar of pee, that'd be my connection to her or whatever it is, you know, and again, hustle economy. What was I just saying? This is part of that hustle economy. So you have the OnlyFans girls who are, you know, t they think they're entrepreneurs and they are because they've never made more money in their lives. But at what point does the, the market get saturated? At what point do they, are they not able to do those things? And at what point do they have to escalate it up to a jar of shit? instead of a jar of pee, instead of a jar of bath water, instead of whatever, like if there's this escalation kind of thing. And at what point does it get saturated, the hustle economy, what, what, what point does it get saturated? And at what point does it escalate to the point where you're just like, this is just nuts? You know, how do you, how, how do you delete, how do you, how do you unplug from that? And I think, I think what you're going to see when we were asking about like uh, the global homogenous you know, uh, society and stuff like that. I think what you're going to see is a there, there's going to be at some point, there's going to be a, a, a group of guys who are going to just basically bug out. Like they want to get off the grid. They want to just unplug from this because it will end up being too much. I'm one of them. Oh, you are. You want to, you're going to bug out. <laughs> I don't, well, I don't. Yeah. Well, I think what I want to do is bug out. Can you actually bug out? Because you, you are, you're, I'm, I'm locked in and I'm, I, I'm as locked into Twitter as you are. And yeah. I know that when you were on Rogan, you were saying Twitter's my baby. Twitter's what I do. And yeah. I'm like, how, how? you know, how? Yeah. Well, I, I don't, I don't think it'll be a hundred percent. Right. Mm -hmm. I just think, uh, there's a level of independence one must have. Um, and you know, uh, we go Maslow's hierarchy of needs, right? So on and so forth. So I do believe in homesteading. I do want to have my own grid as far as electronic electricity is concerned. I want to have my own um, ability, own ISP, right? It's this want to have independence of the system and be able to plug in when I want and get out when I want. You know what I mean? And that's I don't think I'm a hundred percent bug out guy. <laughs> I'm definitely not like. But is it a technological thing or is it a psychological thing? Because technology, you can say, okay, well, I, I'm off the grid and, I, and there's no way to track me and whatever. I can be as, as anonymous, I guess, as you can be. But then like, what, at what point do you go, I need to go check and see what's going on on Twitter so I know what's going on in the world. I, right. I, I get most of my news from like Twitter and from online sources. And I, I, I can't even remember the last time I turned on commercial television. Yeah, I, I don't have a cable um, we don't have TV in my house here. <laughs> All of our do is come straight from Twitter. You know? mm -hmm. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, yeah, I, I, I don't think I'm very altruistic in some ways. So um, I'm always going to be wanting to uh, better the world, always want to give the world my gifts. Right. But I also want the ability to unplug when I want to sort of um, just refresh myself. You know, so when I come back, I'm just a healthier human being. Right. Mm -hmm. I mean, I just think there's power in that. Uh, I got some super chats here. Ken F, thank you. He says, do you think we'll ever roll back the feminization of men? Is there enough pushback? Shout out to Hotep. Love your message. Thank you, bro. Um, yeah, you want to tackle that? Um, I get the. I, a lot of guys will ask this. They'll say, yeah, well, you know, how can we turn this thing around? Um, 
I, I think what was funny is like right around when the pandemic started, a lot of people were saying, oh man, see now all these, these Instagram thoughts and all these girls on Snapchat, they're going to, they're going to all turn into housewives all of a sudden. And now I'm a, now I'm a, I'm a high value man because I'm an electrician or I've got like some like recession proof job. I'm, I'm a welder, you know, so like, so, so now I'm, now I'm a hot commodity kind of thing. And the fact is, is no, they're not. They're going to go to OnlyFans and make a whole lot of money because it's never, there's this, again, that's old order thinking. Mm-hmm. And again, this is the thing that I was saying before is like prior to like say 2000 and the rise of social media and the internet and things that we're like take for granted right now and things that we will take for granted in the future. Prior to that, that's what I call the old order, like the old order thinking. Um, older thinking is like feminism is old order thinking. Chivalry is old order thinking. Uh, I think really the way we consider politics right now, we're still one of the reasons we have such a problem with the division between us right now is because both sides, leftists and rightists, still have old order thinking. And mm. it's going to take us, uh, maybe this generation or the next generation, whatever, the next generation that has uh, had access to the information that we go, wow, this is amazing. I, I grew up in a generation that never had the internet. Uh, you probably did too, right? So. But there's like my daughter has never lived in a world that hasn't had the internet. So right. still, she'll watch like she'll watch movies like Stranger Things and she'll go, what the hell is that telephone with that big lock cord on the, on the wall? Right. And I go, that's a telephone. But to her, she doesn't. It's a it's a cell phone is a thing. Yeah. Um, but that's old order. And so I think a lot of guys will say, well, how do we how do we turn the tides of feminism and, and get back to that old order? You don't. You go forward. You do something new. You do something new with the information that you have right now. Mm. You take what you know about female nature and male nature, conventional masculinity, female masculinity. It's not to say that all the old order stuff was bad. There's a a lot of stuff that's true and it was good, but there's a lot of stuff that was crap. But the problem is, is that we're in this new order way of dealing with things or or me communicating with you. I don't know. You're on the East Coast, right? I couldn't do that just 10 years ago or, or 20 years ago. But I can now, and I take it for granted. Hey, I'm gonna, I gotta tell my wife. Hey, I'm gonna go talk to Hotep, right? You know? yeah. and, it's, and it's not something, but, but we still think in terms of 1990, mm-hmm. 1980s, that mm-hmm. kind of stuff. You want to know why nostalgia kind of stuff, like like I was just saying, Stranger Things or whatever. Why is that a big deal to particularly my Gen X, my generation? Is because it's old order thinking, mm-hmm. and like when I was, uh, I think somebody had brought this up. Remember when Hillary and and Trump were going at it in 2015, which was the buildup to 2016. Somebody, I forget who said it, but they said that these are both 20th century candidates, mm. first century candidates. Their mm. brands were created in the 80s and the 90s. Right. Like what they are, and so a lot of what they think of and what they, the way they they do things, like even Bernie Sanders and all, like that guy is definitely old order thinking. Yeah. And so even if you're in this new order and the way that we do things and, and the way we're tweeting and the way we're interacting and everything, we still are our, our understanding, our expectations are 1990, 1980s, and not what we know now. And so, so how do we, how do we change this? How do we make, how do we make a better, how do we make it better for men and women to be compliments to one another? Well, we go forward. We don't go backwards. Uh I said, I I, I joke about this. I like when I'm talking about like traditional conservatives and stuff, I say traditional conservatives don't want the red pill. They want Mm -hmm. a time machine. 
They want to go back to the 50s or back to a golden era that they have romanticized in their head because they're thinking in old order terms. They yeah. think, well, we can have this golden era again. No, you can't. You go forward. You don't go backwards. Yeah. So going forwards, how do we make, uh, how, do we, how do we get back to a, a, a situation where men are conventionally masculine and women are conventionally feminine? Well, I don't know. <laughs> I would love to, I would, if I had that answer, I would make a bazillion dollars, but yeah. we're going to find out. And a lot of people will say this, well, we're waiting for the, like a lot of people thought COVID or the, the whole, maybe even this, you know, maybe in the riots and everything that this is going to change women's attitude towards men. Yeah. And it's not going to happen until the environment and the conditions for women put them or force them into becoming that conventionally feminine woman, that conventionally feminine man. Like a lot of women, when they are like in their youth, what I call their party years, like between 18 and like 28 years old, that's when they're riding the carousel. That's when they're having sex and that's when they're living it. That's why I call it the party years. Uh -huh. And they get to be like 29 to 31 years old. And then things change because like when they're 29 to 31, that's when they want to get right with God. That's when they want, oh, I've, I've had my fun. I need to find a man with benefits now. Or I, you know, like, so it's right around that age right there. If you go and you look at the uh, age of first marriage, the average age of first marriage today is for, for women, it's 28 and for men, it's 30. Mm. And we're pushing that back further and further. The average age of like first birth, that kind of stuff, <laughs> like, at live birth, not abortion, like live birth is, is getting later and later in life because we keep telling women that you can have it all and you can wait for it. Keep waiting. Keep what don't you, you're, you're worth it, girl. You, you, uh, you know, just hold out for the one that guy is right around the corner. And from like 29 to 31, that's when they're going, well, you know, I had fun with the hot guys and the alpha guys back in my college. I was so crazy in my college days. And now, you know, I'm done with the jerks. I'm done with the games. I'm done with, I want to get right with God. I want to, you know, all this kind of stuff. And there's that change because their conditions have changed. So mm -hmm. now they don't want to, well, maybe less so, they don't want to be the, the super, you know, strong independent woman archetype. Now they want to suddenly become, yeah, maybe they've got like two kids from a previous, you know, a, a previous guy. Now they want to be, to play house. Now they want to be mom. Now mm -hmm. they, and what's, so why, what, what's changed? Well, her environment has changed. Not the, not what she was, what she was taught. Like uh, the obvious answer to this, like, and I would say, I'd said this in my, my third, my third book is that, you know, if you have a daughter, you need to be the, the masculine ideal for that daughter. Mm -hmm. You need to exemplify that. You need to, you need to demonstrate the, you need to demonstrate as a model of the alpha that you want your daughter to be like, I don't want my daughter to be with some, you know, soy boy schmuck i want her to be with a guy who's strong and protect can protect her and, and provide and, and and i'm not saying he, he, i want her to be good looking and i want her to be you know like, right. whatever you know i i want the best for my daughter obviously so i'm trying to you know for every, i didn't this maybe i did this subconsciously but you know i try to be and exemplify that so that she you know can be comfortable in being conventionally feminine that's one way you can do it. The other thing is, is remember that when conditions change, women's expectations and their priorities will change. Mm. So like the thing about when women get into what I call the epiphany phase, which is 29 to 31, it's not that they're like, they're suddenly not hypergamous anymore. There's not that they're, you know, that they don't have the same kind of mating strategy. It's just the priorities for that mating strategy have changed because she knows she can't compete at the same level that she did when she was 21 years old. Mm -hmm. So, so that's the micro. Now the macro is this, 
what what can we what in society needs to change for women to have to reprioritize things to actually buffer their own uh, mating strategies to 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 actually uh, think uh, to have some side of kind of insight to think ahead because mm -hmm. right now women aren't encouraged to think ahead there's yeah. no incentive for them to think why <laughs> who cares mm -hmm. uh, if, if women know that their peak sexual market value years is going to be like say 22 23 years old why wouldn't they start an OnlyFans? i hell i'd do it i would make a lot of money off of it because i know that when i get to be 29 i won't be as marketable as i am when i'm 22. women know this either either subconsciously or or right, it's right up in their face these days. And so why wouldn't they do something like that? Mm. And so what has to change for women to prioritize conventional femininity? Mm. A meteorite has to hit the world, right? A pandemic has to strike. We have to have mass riots and, and we need, uh, you know, strong men to, you know, to fight for them and protect them. Mm. Like what has to change? Well, if those conditions change, then suddenly their, their ideals or priorities for their mating strategies change. Mm, yeah, you know what you said totally resonated uh, as far as the condition of black people in America today, uh, because um, even with the Hotep community, right? Like I just saw that everything was just so old school, and I'm like, you have to update your philosophy, old right? Order thinking. Mm -hmm. Yeah, it's all old order thinking. You know, uh, even how we protest and march. It's like. Mm -hmm. That's what we did in the 50s and 60s. Like there's an updated way to do this stuff now to, to combat the same problems. Like if you keep combating the same problem with that same order thinking, you're not gonna get anything new. Um, thank you for the super chat. Um, Lisa Zuma, she said, just found Hotep on Twitter. Love the discussion, so much more info online. Just cancel my cable. Awesome. She said, freedom. Yes. She said, what's your take on Al Sharpton? I'll answer that really fast. Mm -hmm. His name is Al Sharkton. <laughs> you can uh, infer whatever you'd like from that. Um, and I think, uh, okay, Solar Bear. He said, I'll help anyone design their off-grid energy system free of charge. Solar Bear, stay close because I will be needing your help. Um Mary O'Donnell, she said, never heard of Rolo, so glad I tuned in. Hotep has the best guess. Uh, thank you. Uh, going to check out your books. Yeah, Mary O'Donnell's, uh, she's an OG here with us. Uh, we get call her print, all get year. The print book. <laughs> yeah, get the print book. Chad Lemoyne, he said, we never remember the bad stuff, only the nostalgia. Mm, indeed, indeed. Last question before we go. I have an interesting guest I'll be talking to after this. It's uh, Her name is Catherine. You know, she's a Karen, not Karen in a bad way. I'm just saying it jokingly, but she's a mom. And basically what's happening with her is her children are being bullied online with this whole Black Lives Matter thing. So she wants to know, you know, how can she better communicate with the, community, the black community? How can her kids be not bullied? And, um, you know, how we can improve race relations uh, at the micro level. Um, but, you know, next thing I want to ask you is, you know, I, I, something I disagree with. And, you know, I just love to have your opinion on this. But, um uh, men in the manosphere, whatever they want to call it, have said real men don't play video games. Mm -hmm. And I'm like, bullshit. <laughs> Am I wrong or or no, or, you're not or, wrong. No, no. And, and okay, so let's. Uh, first off, you gotta remember what the manosphere is right now. It, I've seen the manosphere evolve from being just a collection of guys, like swapping notes and on how to pick up a girl in a club 
to mm. being like, uh, you need to go do 50 pushups at four in the morning and, you know, take a cold shower. And, and here's our new, uh, you know, brotherhood of masculinity, our pinnacle of, ma it's, it's, it's Wim, funny. Wim, because Wim, they, uh, Wim Hof breathing exercise. Wim Hof breathing, yeah. Whatever it is, right. Yeah. <laughs> Just pro, man. Um, it's it, the manosphere again, like I said, w w the red pill has been co-opted as sort of this loose brand. The manosphere is now sort of a joke because if you say you're a manosphere guy, then you're suddenly a, an MRA, right? Or you know, a men's rights activist, or you're a MGTOW, or a black pill, or this. Like, and, and it's almost like the butt of a joke right now because like guys, again, because we're, you know, we're, we're tribalistic, but we also want to separate ourselves and want to be the unique guy amongst all of the sheep. Right. And so we go, okay, the, the manosphere are all sheep and I'm the, I'm the, I'm the authentic man. I'm the authentic masculine guy. And for whatever that means, like that means you go to church and you're basically doing the same kind of like, you know, uh, traditional conservative stuff that's been going on for forever, old order thinking. Um, or you're, uh, you're a player, right? You're, uh, you're, you've got Lamborghinis and lots of money and, and, and you got girls and stuff like that. There's that, that's, that's part of the manosphere, right? Or that's the Tradcon guys part of the manosphere. So depends on what you're talking about now with respect to, to video games. Um, the only reason I think that a lot of guys have, um, have a bad thing about video games is because it is, it's seen as the easiest excuse for men being sedated for the easiest excuse for men not doing something. Mm -hmm. So like pornography is what one of the things I, pornography is a sedation. At least that, that's what yeah. I see in this because yeah. particularly when you get off and you're flooded with oxytocin, you don't want to do anything. Alcohol, a lot of alcohol. I'm not saying I, I have been in the wine and spirits industry for 25 years. That's been my, my main source of income for a long time, but alcohol is sedation, particularly in law. I mean, in excess, it is, it is sedation. Um, you know, what is, uh, prescription opioids, sedation, literally sedation. Think about the things that sedate you. If video games is your sedation, then yeah, it can be a bad thing. If video games is how you decompress after, after you've been busting your ass, working, whatever it is that you're doing and working towards your thing. Yeah, dude, I, I, I play video games on my, on my iPad. I don't have a console or anything like that, but I'm not above playing like escaping. I have, I have my hobbies, man. And I play, I play uh, miniature war games. I love that. I have my, my outlets and the things that I like to do that like uh, I'm, I'm an artist, right? I like to draw. I like to paint. I like to, I play, well, obviously I play music. I'm in a band. There's, there's a lot of things that I like to do that, you know, maybe it's, a, maybe I'm more passionate about some than others, but that's not my sedation. Mm. That's not something that's that's preventing me from growing or from being something more. So, video games. I think I think the reason why we shit on video games so much is because it's the easiest thing to to, to shit on. I have a I've got a great essay and it's called the something else. Okay. And I, I I outline exactly this argument with just what you're saying here is that if it wasn't pornography. If it wasn't video games, if it wasn't whatever it is, it would be something else. Absolutely. Because the, whatever that particular thing that they're doing, they're like guys, like if you're obsessed with video games or obsessed with pornography or obsessed with whatever that's, that's holding you back, preventing you from growing and being something more than you are, that is like you're going to, you have a need for some kind of escape. 
because your real life sucks and your virtual life rocks. And I'm, I'm so good in Call of Duty or whatever it is that you're playing, right? And you want to know why uh, games like World of Warcraft or like uh, M Porgs, uh, you know, like the, the multiplayer online games, right? Those were so immersive and so addictive because the virtual reality was better than, right. than their real day to day lives. Mm. So to me, that says it's not the video game that's a problem, it's your real life that's a problem. Mm. And you need to do something about that. You need to be involved in that. You need to get the eye of the tiger. You need to get your ass out there. I did, um, and, I'll, and I'll, I'll stop after this. I, I did a show about two weeks ago, and it's called A Live Time Versus Dead Time. Okay. And I got that, I, I, it's not mine, I got that from um, Robert Glover, who's the author of 48 Laws of Power. Okay. And he talks Robert about- Green. What's that? Uh, Robert Green. Robert, not Robert, Robert Green, mm -hmm. 48 Laws of Power. Uh, a Live Time Versus Dead Time. And A Live Time is anything that is helping you grow, making you better, like learning something to push you on, to make you a bigger, better person, more than you are. So you can say, you know, like a lifetime is maybe you're going to school and you're learning things and you go, oh man, this sucks. But that's your lifetime because it's pushing you to something else. Your dead time is when you're sitting in traffic or you do, you're making money for somebody else mm -hmm. or your crummy job is, is, is bringing you down and depressing you because you're spending so much, you're spending eight hours, 10 hours a day in dead time rather than doing what it is that you would like to be doing. And that's what most people do is they suffer through 40 hours in a cubicle somewhere and dreaming about what they're going to do with their lifetime. And then when they get home, they've got another set of responsibilities that they have to, to take care of, whether it's the kids or the wife or the bills or whatever, you know, uh, extended family, whatever it is. And you think about this, how many guys have like an hour to themselves per day? One hour. I, was it you that said this, that you are what you are in your in your downtime yeah, what, yeah, oh, tell me the quote again because that was really good i think i put that out there what did you yeah. say I, I don't remember the exact quote but that's exactly what i said you are what you do in your off time in yeah your off, yeah yeah and that's because that's your lifetime like what are you gonna you have you have an hour what are you gonna do with it how are yeah. you gonna what are you, what are you gonna make what are you gonna build what are you gonna paint what are you gonna draw what are you gonna whatever yeah one how many guys even have one hour to to themselves per day they're sitting in the like you want to know why guys listen to me on audiobooks because they're sitting in the goddamn <laughs> traffic in commutes and that's at least they're making that turning that into lifetime right and so that i mean if, if i have if i have to end it on that you have to maximize your your lifetime wow. and, I, and i don't think like go go watch that you'll really like that whole live stream is really i think that was to pat myself on the back i thought it was pretty good so um I yeah. understanding the difference between lifetime and dead time. And I think, I think I remember that was what inspired your, your quote is what inspired me to do that. So, oh, wow. Yeah. You know, see, see, this is how I love this exchange, right? Because mm -hmm. I inspired you, then now you dissect mm -hmm. it and you brought it back to me and now it's, it's grown, lifetime right? So dead now time. I'm yes. looking at lifetime and yeah. dead time. I didn't have that before. I just looked at it as you are what you do in your off time because I, mm -hmm. a lot of my tweets come from self-consciousness, right? Un watching myself and understanding what I'm doing, when I'm doing it and mm -hmm. why I'm doing it and how it affects me. Mm -hmm. And I saw like, in my off time, I'm playing chess, I'm mm -hmm. coding, I'm, I might play COD, um, Call of Duty, you know, or I, I'm researching and I'm reading, right? Like I'm always reading like five books at a time. So I'm like, I don't think other people are living their life like this. And then that's what spawned that you are what you do when you're off time, mm -hmm. you know, because I think a lot of people 
use their dead time to be dead. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Or they, or they will, they will use their lifetime in, in a way that may as well be dead time. So mm, when guys get to the point that. where they're like, okay, I'm home from work. I got an hour. What am I going to do? Hey, let's go down to the liquor store and, and, <sighs> you know, get, get a six pack, right? Or let's go. And if you're using your live time to escape your shitty life, then you're, you're not using that. How are you going to get out of that? How are you going to get the, the, the symptom is the video game that the disease is your real life, not your mm. virtual life, your, your, your real life. Mm. I think people get trapped also in uh, particularly women in this, in this day and age uh, on, on Instagram, on social media that rather than using that, like you were just talking about the women and doing uh, you know, only fans and stuff. I wouldn't even have a problem with them doing that if they were using that money to push themselves further, to put that, to make them something more than they actually yeah. are to actually use that opportunity of being gorgeous and whatever, making a lot of money on it. So that later on down the road that they and their family and whatever is going to be better off or the world's going to be better off as a result of that. But I don't see that happening because mm. it's all about. That's that. my problem with black strippers, right? You know, <laughs> um, you know, um, I'm very harsh on the black community because I'm black, but mm -hmm. um, or critical, I should say. But rapper goes into the strip club, tosses millions out. These women are out earning men. They're coming out with, mm -hmm. you know, two hundred fifty thousand dollar yearly careers, and it goes to Gucci and Louis Vuitton. But then they complain about poverty in the black community and what the white man is doing to them. And I'm like, yo, like, fine, you're a stripper. But take that, you know, extra income you have and invest it back in the community, invest it back into the children. And I, like you said, I wouldn't have a problem if we saw something positive coming out of it. But it's it seems like it's just more. You know, there's nothing being built. Yeah. I, I get um, I, I uh, one of the things that I think is unfortunate really about the manosphere and well, what's become of the red pill anyways, is again, like I was saying before, the grift thing that's going on in the hustle economy. And what I'm seeing right now is uh, what I call red meat. Red meat is mm. everywhere, and it's guys who want to commiserate. It's women who want to commiserate as well. Like, whether, And it doesn't necessarily have to be in the red pill. It can be in any niche, any societal niche, any cultural niche, whatever, ethnic niche. doesn't matter. If somebody's feeding you something that you go, yeah, that's that's right. That's you know, you have this sort of like emotional connection to that that kind of red meat. In my case, it's these guys who actually will take my work and then sort of bastardize it and then use it like, well, Rolo said that that women can't actually love men. And I'm like, no, that's not what I said. I you know, I have to qualify because again, it takes time to sort of digest and understand. Like, like I keep saying, people say I'm long-winded. I always have a a balance between being concise and being thorough. Right. <laughs> I'm not thorough. You get, well, Rollo said no, women can't love men. That's not what I said, asshat. That you go read the go read the post, go read the book, go, you know, and then come back to me. But they, that's all they want to hear because that's the red meat. That's mm. what that's what gets them off is like, oh, women can't love me. Oh, great. Okay. Give me more. Give me more. I'll listen to your four hour live stream. And that tells me the same thing over and over again. And so I see this, but I, I see like the hustle economy and these guys pick the grifters pick up on that emotionality. And so they keep throwing. Here's five reasons why you should leave the girl if she does this kind of thing. Mm. They don't give you any education. They just tell you what to avoid, what not, mm. what not to do, how not to be better, but how to feel this kind of indignation or get this chemical rush while you are kind of being fed something that you already believe 
but you're having those beliefs confirmed. The same thing mm -hmm. can happen for a black stripper, right? You have those mm -hmm. beliefs confirmed. It feels good. Oh yeah. Women love indignation. That's part of, that's part of women's nature is yeah. to, to just like devour, digest indignation because that's what makes women feel alive, particularly mm -hmm. when it's like something that is like an injustice. And usually, whether that's ethnic or whatever, but it usually that's like, oh, he cheated on me. I want to get justice kind of thing. And they get off on that. But mm. it's, the same, it's the same emotional core. It's the same emotional state for the guys who want to commiserate, for the women who want to feel like they're, you know, they're, they're repressed or whatever when they're making all this money. Um, it, it, it just feeds into what our egos are invested in. And then it, the feedback is the emotional like high or the dopamine hit or the indignation rush. Mm, 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 deep, deep. Rolo, <laughs> powerful words today. Uh, great stream. There's a lot more we have to talk about. Obviously, I'm going to bring you back on again in the future because there's a lot that we haven't covered um, today. But um, thank you very much for coming through. You guys got to follow this guy on Twitter um, at The Rational Mail. Um, you guys got to get his book, The Rational Mail. Um, Hotep Jesus says, get the print version <laughs> and, 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 and pay it forward, you know, um, buy it for somebody else too, yeah, young man, on. young son. Yeah. I think that's very important. Um, but thank you, bro. Sure. Um, time. Uh, yeah. Hell yeah. Everybody, uh, hang on. I'm going to go ahead and promo my next guest that'll be coming on in the next hour. Um, and like I said, we're going to be talking about the, uh, miscommunication between whites and blacks so online surrounding black lives matter and how you can communicate with the black community and diagnosing the black community's, uh, illness that we have right now. So stick around. I'll be back with Catherine, who's a mom. She's going to be talking about the problems of her children getting bullied, so on and so forth. Again, Rolo, thank you. No, thanks. Thank you for having me.